find ourselves in John again, in the 13th chapter, in the 31st verse, going to 35. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself, and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Let's pray. Our Father, I thank you so much for the privilege of pondering your will and your ways, and I pray that you would help me now as I speak, and I pray that you would help all of us as we hear. Father, I pray that you would teach us how to discern your heart in the practical things of life, and I thank you for what you will do today. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray, amen. I want to begin this morning by thanking you for the grace that you've shown me over the last couple weeks. I have shared some things with you that have been heavy on my heart, and it's not been an easy thing to do. And that, that lack of ease is not because I'm afraid of people or afraid of consequences. It's because the kinds of things that I've shared are so easy to overstate or to understate or to properly state but with the wrong tone and then get it all wrong. I just felt like there's so many sides of a cliff that I could have fallen off of. And I just really want to tell you, I appreciate so much the grace that you have shown me after the last two sermons uh, in between services. Uh, I'm very, very grateful for your hearts to be discerning uh, people who receive the words of God from this pulpit, but also who hear the words of God with grace. So really, I mean it from my heart. Thank you very much for your graciousness um, to me. Last Sunday after church, Kim and I, as we always do, we went out to lunch, and once we got settled, as we always do, we began to discuss the worship service. We talked through the service every week together, not so much as professionals who are trying to critique things, but as worshipers who are just trying to discern together what God has said to us, and we're just trying to share in Christ together. We will, at times, if something didn't go quite right or something wasn't said right, we'll also talk about that. And so last Sunday when we talked about uh, the sermon, Kim shared some things that benefited her, but then she told me that she was a little concerned that people might hear the things that I said but then not know what to do with them. She was a little concerned that people might even agree with the things that I was saying but, but then leave saying, so now how do I act? What do I do? How do I live my life in Christ in this world? And I think it's, it's a great question. I think it's a a great critique of the message that I preached, and so uh, I shared some things with her that I I now want to to share with you. In a consumerist culture, uh, it is a culture in which people, frankly, worship themselves, in which they make gods of themselves, and in which they buy goods and experiences and offer those things as sacrifices to themselves. I am my own God. Everything that I buy, everything that I do is essentially an offering to myself. And when that offering is no longer pleasing, I just make another sacrifice. And I keep making more and more and more sacrifices until the day I die. This is the nature of consumerist culture. It's not just that goods and services are bought and enjoyed. It's that the self becomes God. That's the problem with it. And while that grieves me in itself for our nation, because I love our nation, and I I want our people to know God, 
I want them to know the living God and not to be fooled by the false God of the flesh. This grieves me all the more when I look at wide swaths of the evangelical church who have embraced this way of thinking and even advanced this way of thinking, who have subtly and sometimes not so subtly encouraged people to worship themselves and then baptize that in the name of Jesus. I remember preaching a sermon from Judges once called Sanctified Idolatry, where the people worshiped a false god, but called it by Yahweh's name. And I remember saying to y'all, how would you feel if your spouse cheated on you, but then came and tried to comfort you and said, yeah, but I called her by your name. I was thinking of you the whole time. How would that make you feel? I think it would make you feel worse and not better. And when people worship a false god in the name of God, it's just a horrible thing. I am not anywhere in the neighborhood of the judge of the church in the United States of America. I'm just telling you what's been on my heart, what's been grievous to my heart. But, but here's a problem with the things I've been saying is that if that's the only thing you emphasize, you, you miss a major, major thing. And that is that not every single thing that we can buy in life or experience in life is inherently bad, Right? Consumerists make a god of themselves, but this does not mean that buying goods and having experiences are inherently evil. There is a way to buy something and enjoy it and worship God rather than the self. There is a way to have an experience and enjoy it as a sacrifice to the glory of your creator and not as a sacrifice to yourself. Amen? There are ways to do this. Jesus was so clear You cannot serve God and money. You cannot. You cannot have two gods. But he also inspired the Apostle Paul to say that God gives us all things to enjoy for the glory of God. He gives us things to enjoy for the glory of God. So there's a way to have goods and have experiences to God's glory and not to the worship of self. And besides that, Jesus Christ has seen fit to preserve for us stories in the scriptures of very wealthy people who remained worshipers of God. Abraham was absolutely wealthy. King David was utterly wealthy. The women who supported Jesus' earthly ministry were very wealthy. The families who came and made great sacrifices, gifts to the church in the book of Acts were very wealthy people, and yet the Lord remained their God. I'm a little concerned that with the things that I have said that I have overstated one side and not helped us balance this out, that there is a way to purchase things and experience things and not become an idolater. There is a way to remain a worshiper of God. And when we think about the life of the church, while it is true that many churches have just completely embraced consumerist culture and they have just appealed to the flesh to grow their churches, And for many pastors, the truth of the matter is they're just trying to make a name for themselves in the name of Jesus. A.W. Tozer said this way back in the 50s. I read a, a quote from an ancient pastor way back hundreds and hundreds of years ago who said that even in his day, pastors were doing much the same thing. But in our culture, when you have social media platforms and ways to publish your own materials and all that, it's just never been more easy to seek to make yourself famous. And the truth is there are churches and pastors who are just trying to be famous in the name of Jesus. But they're not all that's out there. There are churches who are trying to meet people where they're at because they love people and they love the gospel. 
And there is a way to listen to people and listen to their needs and seek to speak the gospel so that it does speak to their needs in a way that doesn't compromise anything, that in fact applies the gospel. There's a way to remain a worshiper of God and passionately seek to bring the gospel to the lost. There is. And so as Kim and I talked about all this, she asked another follow-up question that I'm going to rephrase a little bit and make two questions, but this is essentially what she asked. She asked me, well, then how can a person tell the difference? How can a Christian tell the difference between things that are being done for the God of self and things that are being done for the Lord their God? How can a church tell the difference between things that they're doing that are essentially encouraging self-worship over against the things that are actually encouraging the worship of the, of the almighty God of heaven and of earth? How can people tell? And I am now going to share with you again what I shared with her, except with her it was 10 minutes and this is gonna be a little bit more than, than 10 minutes. There's a lot that needs to be said, but I honestly think the two things that I wanna share are at the heart of everything that would be said. How can Christians discern the proper use of goods and experiences and outreach strategies so that the Lord our God remains in his proper place and our flesh remains in its proper place. Well, my first answer is an answer that's probably been given from this pulpit every single week for the last 11 years, either from me or for somebody else, from somebody else. In order to discern God's will about the practical ways of life, the practical things of life, we must be a people of the word. Let me put it to you this way. The only way to follow the Lord is to listen to the Lord. It is impossible to be a cultural Christian and think that you're a follower of God, but you actually never listen to the words of God. The only way to follow the Lord is to listen to the speech of the Lord. And while it's true that the Lord speaks to us by his Holy Spirit, it says this in Isaiah as part of his new covenant promise, that the Holy Spirit will tell us, go now to the left or to the right. The Spirit guides us in life. That's true. But over 90% of the speech, I have no idea how to make the percentage a proper percentage, but way over 90% of God's speech is contained in his word, in the Bible. The Bible is what stabilizes the speech of God in our lives so that we're not just tossed by the wind and waves of our emotions. Well, God told me to do this or God told me to do that. How do you know? There is no way to follow the Lord unless we listen to the word of the Lord through his ancient word. There's simply not another way. But herein lies the issue. As we read the Bible, it doesn't always directly relate to the things that we are dealing with in our lives, right? If, you're, if you want to buy a car or you guys want to maybe go out to dinner, maybe in a little bit of an expensive place or something, if you want to have some experience, go zip lining up on the North Shore, which I tried to do last year, but then turned out I didn't want to pay $250 to zip line, so I decided not to do that. <laughs> Let's say you just have something you're excited about. There's really no value in it other than joy. And you don't know, what am I supposed to do? Is this something that would be pleasing to God? Is this something that would not be pleasing to God? There's not going to be a Bible verse that says, go for it, go ziplining, have a good time. It's not going to be there. So what do you do? Well, I think that the Lord has designed the Bible so that it's built around him and not around us. That's number one. The Bible is about God. It is built around him. He does not directly address everything we're thinking and feeling because he wants us to crawl out of ourselves and into his world. 
He wants us to come and see things from his point of view. He wants us to understand his purposes, his promises, his plans. And the more all of that becomes clear, the more the daily decisions of life at least gain a context. At least there's a context there. And you begin to understand how God thinks and how he feels and what he's up to in the world. You begin to understand what he's driving at with everything in the world. I think that the more you just read the Bible on God's terms and just listen to him, come into his world and learn from him and learn who he is, you begin to develop a sort of inner ear that can discern the will of your father in the practical situations of life. As we listen to our Father's words, he develops in us an inner ear and then he guides us in the practical things by his spirit. And no, there will not always be a Bible verse that says do exactly this or do exactly that. I'm just thinking right now of April and Elijah Lee who decided to move down to St. Louis and they were part of our community group and we watched them for months and months debating and trying to discern the will of God and it was challenging because there's no verse that says Lee family moved to St. Louis. But they sought God by his word. They sought God by his wisdom and when the Lord was ready, he made his will clear. If we wanna be people who discern the will of God, There's a process that's involved in getting to know the words of God. It's not a microwave solution, beloved. This is a daily habit of being in the word, of listening to our Father. Next thing you know, you kind of get to know how your Father thinks, and you're helped to make decisions about what would be good and what would not be good. You're helped to make decisions about, you know what, for this person over here, they could buy this thing and it wouldn't be any problem, but for me right now, my heart is not right. And if I buy this thing, I'm gonna love this thing too much. So for right now, the answer is no. You, you get to discern what's important to your father so that you can make practical decisions. So Romans 12, one to two. I put these things up on the uh, PowerPoint for you. Paul wrote, I appeal to you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Worship is a life lived before God, not just a moment of singing a song. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, and the only way for that to happen is for the mind to be transformed and renewed by the words of God as the Spirit applies it to our lives, so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This vision is so simple and so powerful. Come, listen to the words of your Father, Let him transform your mind, surrender your life to him, and he will help you discern his will in every single decision of life. He may or may not do it in your time, he may or may not do it in your way, but your father wants to lead you. He wants you to have certainty and joy in doing his will. And as your mind is transformed and your prayer life is ignited, beloved, he will help you discern what is good and right and holy for you and glorifying to him. He will, but it's not a quick fix. It's a daily process of being in the word of God. The author of Hebrews later came along and wrote this in chapter five, verse 14. He said, but solid food by which he means the words of God, are for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from 
evil. So he's lifting up a vision here where every answer is not just plainly in the words of Scripture because God himself is leading us to be able to discern things. He wants us to mature. He wants us to grow up into full manhood. In chapters 5 and 6 of Hebrews, the author is just grieving because the people of God have just left themselves in infancy and they don't want to grow up. They don't want to be adults. They just want to be babies who eat milk. And he's saying, grow up and love solid food. Love the wisdom of your Father. And more than just eating it, Learn how to take in the words of your Father and discern the difference between what's good and what's not good in light of his word. God wants to grow us up through the process of discerning his will in the practical things of life. And again, this is just, there's no quick fix here. It's simple, but it's not a quick fix. It's a daily thing of being in God's word, learning his heart, learning his will, learning his ways, and then applying it to the practical things of life. Sometimes we'll get it right, sometimes we'll get it wrong, but in the process of of using our powers of discernment, we will grow, we will mature, we will become good judges of all things by the grace of God. Beloved, this is a beautiful vision of a father who wants to walk with his children and bring them up into full adulthood, full maturity, and it takes a daily habit. So I want to take just a few minutes now and and share with you a practical decision in my life that I'm having to make right now, something that's live uh, uh, from Elk River. It is uh, Sunday morning. I was trying to make a spoof off of Saturday Night Live, and I definitely should not have done that. That didn't work so well. But this is live in my life right now. I'm having to make a decision about something. And I just want to help you understand how I've been processing. So in February of 2001, I bought a, a road bicycle. It was not cheap. But as expensive as that bike was, I have ridden it uh, for 17 years now. And by the end of this year, Lord willing, I will crest over 29,000 miles on that bike. I've gone more than once around the earth, and now I'm starting lap two on that bike. But it's 17 years old, a lot of wear and tear. I've replaced a lot of smaller parts, but now the major things are getting brittle, and the last time I had it worked on, the guy told me that some significant things are are about to break. And when those things break, they're not cheap to replace. In fact, in today's prices, to replace the, the component system will be almost as much as I paid for the bike originally. So as I thought it through, I thought, well, that doesn't make any sense then to fix this bike. We've reached the tipping point where I I just need to buy a new bike. Easy enough, right? Wrong. Three reasons why that's not easy. First of all, I don't ride cheap bikes. The kind of bike that I want to buy, you can't get at Walmart or even at Dick's Sporting Goods or REI or a place like that. The kind of bike I want to buy is expensive. Now, Kim and I buy old cars and we run our cars into the ground, but this bike will cost more than two of the cars we own combined. Not $10,000, just to give you a, a thing, but, but it's more than hundreds, so I'll tell you that. It's not a cheap bike, so I have to think about that. Second thing is it's a very limited use. If I get this bike, I can only use it for exercise and the joy that it brings me. I can't use it, for instance, to give you a ride anywhere. If you ask me for a ride, I can't say, sure, just jump on the handlebars, I'll take you down to Rogers. It won't work. I can't use it to go get groceries. Not that kind of bike. It's very limited in its use, so if I buy it, it's going to be expensive and used for a narrow thing. And then the third thing is, I am not emotionally neutral about this. I've been thinking about getting a new bike for several years, and now I was almost happy when the guy told me, hey, all this stuff's about to break. I was like, oh boy. Now I get to go home and tell Kimmy, Kimmy, we got a problem. 
we got a serious issue. My bike's about to break and I'm going to have to buy a new one. Oh, bummer, right? So I've done a bunch of research. I've looked at the major brands, every bike that I would like. I've finally decided the, the make I want, the model I want. I'm not emotionally neutral about this. I want that bike. Now that's not a problem in itself, but it's a bit of a problem because sometimes when you have passion to get something, you can end up baptizing your decision in the name of God and just say, well, God said I could do this. Well, how do you know God said you could do this? I don't wanna go around saying God told me I could buy this bike if he didn't tell me that. So I have to be careful because my emotions are gonna wanna persuade me to get the thing that I want, right? Maybe you're not like me, but I'm like that. I kind of grew up as a spoiled kid and I got whatever I wanted. I, I have to watch this in my heart, I really do. So it's not as simple of a decision as, as it might seem to be. It's expensive, it's of limited use, and, and my heart, I really want this thing. So what do I do? Well, I'm a worshiper of God. So I read the Bible every day. I've been doing that for 30-something years by the grace of God. And so I bring these things before our Father and I begin to process them with him. And I know a few things. First of all, I know that I can't serve God and money, or in this case, a possession. I know that this thing can't have too high of a place in my life. I know that. And I also know that God gives us all things to enjoy. Please think about that. God has just given you a thing that really in itself has very little lasting value at all, but he gives it to you for no other reason but that you have joy. There is a heart of, in God that he just wants us to enjoy being alive. So I know there's these two things, I can't worship this thing, and yet God may give me this thing to enjoy. So that tells me that the issue is really not the thing. The issue is my heart toward it. And the issue is my heart toward God. Am I gonna buy this thing as an offering to myself? Or will I buy this thing as an offering to God? Will I be a consumerist or will I be a worshiper? What am I gonna be? So what I do is I look back at my track record. I say, Lord, how have we walked together low these last 17 years with my last bike? 17 years ago, I was super excited about the bike that I'm still riding. I could have told you about all the details of it before I bought it, and when I got it, I was excited every day. You kind of wake up and you go look at it, you, there it is. I was excited, but God helped me to keep it in the proper place of my heart, and over the years, as I've really enjoyed taking bike tours and doing all kinds of things, cycling's had a place in my life, but God has helped me to keep it in its proper place, and I have told the Lord at times when I maybe enjoyed it a little too much, I've told him, Father, if we can't straighten my heart out about this, please take this thing from me or lead me to sell it because nothing gets in the way of my love for you. Nothing is gonna take that place, nothing, Lord. One thing about cycling is it's time consuming. So when you really get into it, sometimes it's tempting to, ah, I think I just won't read the Bible today. I'm gonna go out for a bike ride. And I just said to the Lord, no, I'm not gonna go there. So I have 17 years of a track record, so to speak, of being able to take something that I really do enjoy but keep God in the right place, so that's good news. And for me, it comes down to a financial matter. And Kim and I have worked these things out so that over four or five months we can afford it without compromising other serious financial things in our family's life. And if it ever does get to the place where, where uh, it does compromise it, I'll just take this pile of money and spend it on something that's more important. That's okay with me. I'm okay with God's timing. So when I go through all that process, I've come to the place where I not only feel I have permission to buy this bike, but when I get it, I'm not only gonna have the joy of having a bicycle, but I'm gonna have the greater joy of knowing that my father blessed me with something just so that I can have joy in him. 
just so that I can pursue physical health and emotional health and be a a man on this earth who lives for the glory of God. Beloved, I'm trying to help us understand that even in a consumerist society, it is not inherently evil to buy things and have experiences that you enjoy just because you enjoy them. And there is a way to do that and keep God in the center. There is a way to do that and be a worshiper of God. And that way is very simple, but it's not quick. That way is to saturate your life with God's words, to walk with him day by day, and then when something comes up, talk to him about it. When something comes up, ask him to help you get wisdom by his words. Not just by your own logic, but by his words, Lord. How could your word shed light on this decision? Trust me, if you ask that question in earnestness, God will help you, and you'll be able to discern. The same thing applies to churches. If churches want to do some kind of outreach thing that they think will bless people, and maybe it will grow the church, I don't know. There's a way to pray and say, God, is this pleasing to you? Is this something that honors the scripture? Is this something that honors how the gospel ought to be preached? Are we making a God of people? Are we keeping you central? Are we exalting you as the only Lord and God, even if that is hard for people to hear, even if that makes them angry? There is a way, beloved, through knowing the word of God and putting everything through the filter of his wisdom, there is a way to know his will. Individually, and corporately. Second answer that I would give, how do we discern the difference between self-worship and true God worship? This does come in second place, but I think it's absolutely necessary. This is not a peripheral add-on. This is absolutely necessary to discerning God's will in the practical things of life. We need vibrant Christian community. Life in Christ is life together. Life in Christ is life together. Vibrant Christian community is not just an add-on for elite Christians who feel that they have the time and the desire to connect with other believers. Life in Christ with other believers is central to what Jesus is trying to accomplish on the cross and through the preaching of the gospel. Life in Christ is life together. Period and end of story. I spent five months preaching from this pulpit about this topic some years ago. It's all on the website. You can look at that if you want to. I was trying to show us over five months of time that these things are central to the gospel and not out on the periphery of the gospel. Jesus is trying to formulate for himself a people, and one of the ways that he knits us together is by leading us to discern his will together, not just alone, but together. And as you work with other people to discern his will about a practical thing, you do get your answer eventually, but the greater thing that happens, the much more profound and long-lasting thing that happens is that his people have been knitted together through the process for the glory of his name. So let me take, instead of five months, let me take five minutes and just lead us through a train of thought to help you see how central life together is in the heart of Jesus. So I'm gonna ask you the first couple places to turn with me and then the rest you can just look up here because there'll be too many places to turn. So John 13, let's start there. I want to reread what Buster read for us. John 13, 31. Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself 
and glorify him at once. Glorify him right now. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Beloved, with these words, Jesus made clear that life in him is life together with others who are also in him. It's not a peripheral part of what he is up to. This is not an add-on. He's saying, if you want to walk with me, love one another. This is my will. These are my ways on the earth. Walk in them. Jesus made clear with these words that his vision of our relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit includes everyone else who is also enfolded into that relationship. As we receive love from God, Jesus' heart is that we would overflow with that love to other people. And as we give love to God, his heart is that we would express our love for him by loving other people. And so with that in mind, the the initial shot across the bow, if you will, or the initial trumpet blast in the scripture of life together, Jesus then prayed something very profound in chapter 17. So if you look now at John 17, 20. Jesus prayed these words, John 17, 20 through 23. Father, I do not ask for these only. He had been talking about the disciples that were in his generation, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Beloved, this was not a new thought to me this week, but it hit me so deeply in my heart as I thought about our love for one another and what Jesus is up to through that love. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have a profound and eternal love for each other, and when we get saved, we are enfolded into their very love. But one of the ways Jesus does that is by then teaching us how to love other people so that we learn to love in community even as God loves in community. It is not again, just a peripheral add-on, this life in Christ together business. It is a central part of what Jesus is up to as he's trying to enfold us into the love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He doesn't want to just give us that love. He wants to teach us how to love with that love. And so again, he calls upon us and he prays for us that we would love one another even as he has loved us. The early church evidently got the point from Jesus because from the very beginning in Acts chapter two, you see that one of their central values was the fellowship of the church. One of their central values as they met together every day in the temples and from house to house, they did life together. Culturally, it was probably easier for them because they're a communal people and they didn't have cars and things like that, but still there were difficulties involved and yet they were simply committed to one another. As the church matured and grew and the apostles wrote letters back to the church, 
They penned a number of, of what have come to be called one another commands. There are 50-something of them in the Bible, but let me just read for you a smattering of them so that we can get a feel for what uh, God is calling us to do. And by the way, in my view, all of these other one another commandments are just explanations of the main thing Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. So now you can just look up at the, at the screen. It'll be too hard to turn to all these. Romans 12, 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Romans 12, 16. Live in harmony with one another. Romans 14, 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. 1 Corinthians uh, 12. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Second Corinthians 13, 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace, and the love of God and peace will be with you. Galatians 5, 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Ephesians 4, 1 to 2. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another. You could easily translate that, put up with one another. Ephesians 4, 32. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Let the rich soil of the forgiving grace of God go out from you to the lives of others. Show God's grace to each other. Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly so that what? so that you can teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. 1 Thessalonians 5. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Hebrews 3.13. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 10.24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and to good works. Let us consider how to encourage each other and press one another on in the things of God, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. James 5, 9. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. And behold, the judge is standing at the door. James five sixteen. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And finally, 1 John 4, 11 through 12. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. I think if you'll meditate on these things, not just hear them in a few minutes, but really meditate on these things, you will see that God means for people who are in Christ to live their lives together with others who are in Christ. How can you 
obey the one another's if there are no others in your life, right? And how can you obey the one another simply on a Sunday morning in a couple of hours of coming and going and quickly passing? How is it possible? It's not possible. It's challenging in our culture to do life together. We're all so busy. We live all over the place. Even in a small church, we live all over the place. And we're all busy and we have legitimate things happening in our lives and it's not easy. But I just wanna say, beloved, do not give up. Come into the joy of what God has for you. Come into the joy of life together. Come into the joy of loving other people with the very love of God that is in your life. There's nothing like it. There's nothing that can replace it. And when it comes to discerning God's will, beloved, we need one another. God has created each of us with weaknesses that are filled up with the strengths of other people, and we need each other. There are blind spots that each of us have, but then you fill up my blind spot and I fill up your blind spot. We need each other. One thing I didn't share with you about my decision about the bike is that besides just me thinking about my decisions by the word of God, I also talked to Kim at great length. And not just trying to persuade her, but bringing her in as my friend in Christ into a, a fairly significant financial decision we have to make. And I talked with Craig Prange, and, and an owner of a local bike store who's a believer, and other believers that I know that understand cycling and understand bicycles and understand the nuance of the, of the decision that I have to make. I brought the body of Christ into my decision process, beloved, and I have great joy that I feel the greenest light to say, when the money's there, go for it and be happy about it. It's just a thing, but God has given it to you for your joy, and I will rejoice in God when I get that thing, but you know what? I'm gonna rejoice so much more in the fact that I have been knit together with people that I love than I will in a bicycle that's just gonna break and fade away at some point anyway. The bigger thing God is doing is knitting people together through practical decisions. So at this time of our lives here at Glory of Christ Fellowship, we have a very important decision to make in the next 60 to 90 days. And if we need more than 90 days, we can get more than 90 days. We have been offered an unusual opportunity to lease a prominent facility right in the heart of Elk River at about half the going rates. And I don't know if it's God's will right now or not, but what I know is this is something we have to take seriously. This is something we have to pray about. This is something we've been praying about for some time, but, but now there's something real concrete to pray about. So last Sunday, we presented some basic facts. In this last week, four out of our five community groups have met to have their initial discussions about these things. There'll be more discussions coming. We'll have a couple more public meetings and many more personal uh, private meetings to discuss these things. We're in the process of discerning God's will together, you see? And no matter what the outcome, I want us to understand that the bigger thing is not a building that's just gonna fade away anyway. The bigger thing is that through the process of discerning God's will together and following in God's ways together, whatever that way is, we will be knit together in Christ forever. This whole thing is an excuse to grow up into maturity in Christ together, beloved. The feedback that has gotten to me has been both supportive and not supportive. There are some people who are so excited right now that probably as soon as it's wise, they themselves would put their name on the lease. There are other people who have legitimate concerns, legitimate questions, and maybe someday they'll be ready, but right now they're not ready. And I want you to hear me say something. All of that feedback is positive feedback. You know why? Because honest discussion is positive discussion. 
Positivity doesn't have to do with saying, yes, let's do it. Positivity says, yes, let's discern God's will. And here's some concerns that I have, legitimate concerns that I have. All honest discussion is positive discussion, whether in a family or in a church family. And one thing that has thrilled my heart is I have not heard myself, at least, the people who are supportive, looking down on the people who are not supportive and saying, well, you just lack faith and you don't believe in God. Well, that's arrogance, and it's probably not true. And I have not heard, myself anyway, I have not heard non-supportive people looking at the supportive people and saying, well, you're just not wise. You're not thinking. You're not thinking, you're not counting the cost. Jesus said count the cost. You're not doing that. I have not heard that kind of back and forth that really comes from arrogance. I have heard people listening to each other. I have heard people considering one another's points of view. And I want to tell you, that's what thrills my heart. That's what thrills my heart. Buildings come and buildings go. I was just thinking of Bethlehem Baptist Church who built their first building in the 1800s and you know what happened? It got wrecked by a tornado and it no longer exists. But the glory of God is still beaming from that church because it was the more important thing. And what I just want to encourage you, beloved, is to keep seeking God's will and keep being honest. Keep your heart fixed on what he wants. Eventually, he'll make his will clear to us because I can promise you one thing. Somehow in the midst of all our discussions is the voice of God. And our job, our joy and privilege is to discern where his voice is at. And when we do discern his voice together, maybe not every single person will agree, but I want to tell you again, the more important thing that will transpire is that we will be knit together by the Spirit of Christ and in the love of Christ. That's what thrills my heart. Jesus is building his church, and his church is his people. So how do people in a culture like ours discern whether they're worshiping God or worshiping self? How do they decide as churches whether we're promoting the worship of self or promoting the worship of God? I really don't have a quick fix. I just say that these things come about as people saturate their lives with the word of God in the midst of vibrant Christian community. Both things are absolutely necessary. The word of God considered in the midst of vibrant Christian community. This is why we have community groups. This is why we press people to get involved with with other believers, even if the five groups that we have now don't work for you, time-wise, whatever. This is why we're saying pursue one another, because God reveals his glory and his will in his ways as we consider his words in the midst of vibrant Christian community. And so with that now, I want to just urge you quickly, I want to close with this. I just want to urge you to to connect with a community group this fall. We have five of them to offer this year, and if the leaders of those groups, if you could just make your way up now, we're just going to take just a couple minutes to tell you which groups are which, where they're meeting, what they're doing, and then the community group leaders, if I could ask you after the service to hang out back in the over where Dave is, if you could hang out over there to make sure that people can uh, talk with you, I want to urge you to pray about this and connect with believers. And if none of these groups works for you, let us know and we'll figure out something that does work because we want you to know the joy of living in vibrant Christian community. So I'm standing here. I have a mic on. Dave and I are uh, co-leaders of a group. We uh, just merged our groups this year because uh, one of our couples moved to St. Louis and some other couple, I don't know who they are, they decided to leave the country. I don't know what's going on. The Gunnersons were in our group and they left the country, so we kind of got smallish and we decided to merge with Dave's group. 
Our group is going to meet on the first and third Wednesday nights at Dave's house in the heart of Elk River. We'll be singing, praying, and talking about the sermon that we heard the previous week. So if you're interested, you can talk to either Dave or myself. Um, so, yeah, my name is Kevin, and um, I'm the leader of the St. Michael Community Group. We meet on the second and fourth Sundays of the month at 4.30 p.m. We usually just um, gather together and fellowship. Um, we share kind of updates on our family lives and pray for one another, and then um, sometimes we'll even discuss the sermon. Um, and then we also have a, uh, a meal after our time, and we just kind of hang out and just uh, um, do life together. Hi, I'm Warren Johnson, and I am the uh, leader of the Elk River North group. Um, this is my first year of being the leader. Um, Craig Prange has had it before, and uh, he has moved on to other things, and uh, we're looking for a leader, and so I volunteered to uh, do that with the uh, help of some other people. Uh, so we meet at the first and the third Mondays. Uh, the first Monday is at uh, my house. The other Monday is at the Springfield's house. Uh, we definitely do life together. Um, that is the, the goal of the community groups. Um, we worship, um, we have a devotion, and we spend time in prayer. Um, then there's a lot of community time that we spend together just talking to each other uh, in and out of the community group. Uh, so if you're interested in joining a community group that's uh, got a bunch of people, that uh, love the Lord and that love seeing what uh, the Lord is doing in their lives, uh, come join us. Hi, I'm Mike Perry. Uh, I'm standing in for Brad Brocious, who couldn't be there, be here this morning. Uh, Brad and Mary Joe are leading us this coming year. We meet uh, once a month um, at their home from 3 to 5 p.m. It'll be a Sunday. The schedule could vary. If you have any uh, questions on the actual date, you can contact them. We're going to be starting a DVD series called What's the Difference? Um, that concern, it's by John Piper that's uh, talking about biblical manhood and womanhood. And there's one other time per month we're going to meet. It's be more of a social time, and that's going to vary where it is. And so uh, if you have any questions about that, the Rogers community or Rogers area, just contact either Brad or Mary Jo. I'm Joel Morgan. Um, I have, we are heading up the Big Lake group. Um, this is our second year uh, together. But our plan is, and unfortunately it's going to start in October 12th uh, due to the True Woman Conference this coming weekend, and then uh, we're helping out the Pranges with their daughter's wedding the following Friday night. But we do meet on Friday nights starting on the 12th of October, 6 o'clock. We're going to do things a little different this year. We're going to do a meal, and we're going to meet every Friday. Um, we're going to meet at our house, and don't have a specific agenda other than we're just going to get together and we're going to enjoy each other. We're going to, you know, one, one week we might have a discussion. Uh, one week we might just break into prayer. Another week we might play games. So uh, every Friday night at 6, we're going to enjoy time together. And I'm just going to say this. I have a burden on my heart for the neighbor couple of ours. And I... I just can't, I can't seem to, to shake it, and so I'm going to invite them. Um, but I, I really want, I think this is important, is that we, we should be reaching out and, and our neighbors and friends and whatnot. Uh, I, I want our group to be 
comfortable, you know, just having having others. And I want whoever is planning to come to to feel free to invite their neighbors and 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 whatnot. So um, that's our plan. Uh, anybody, everybody's welcome. Uh, we're looking forward to getting that started. Let me just pray, and then we'll sing our closing song. Father, I thank you so much for speaking to us today by your word, and I pray that we would grow strong in the desire to want to do your will and to walk in your ways, and I pray that we would become more and more a people of your word who enjoy and cherish and value vibrant Christian community. Oh, Father, help us, help us to follow and help us to experience the kinds of things that you have in store for us as we simply trust your wisdom and walk in your ways. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.